Hi, my name is Ajaz Ahmed, and I'm the CEO of AKQA. And my leadership lesson is invest in the relationships that compound. Hello, and welcome to Management Today's Leadership Lessons. I'm Kate McGee, MT's editor. Today, we have Ajaz Ahmed on the podcast. Ahmed is a group CEO and co-founder of AKQA, which is a design, creative and innovation agency. A quick primer for the unfamiliar, AKQA employs 5,500 people around the world, has 50 studios, an enviable client list, notably a 25-year relationship with Nike, and has won more than 80 Agency of the Year awards during its time. 2024 marks the agency's 30th anniversary. Ahmed's backstory is straight out of the Silicon Valley playbook. In 1994, age 21, he dropped out of university to launch AKQA with friends from his parents' basement. As he told Campaign in 1999, there was a lot of talk about the information superhighway, and we knew if we didn't start then, we would have missed out forever. It was better that I started AKQA than finish my degree. Timing was absolutely of the essence. His gamble paid off. First client was Microsoft. He was a millionaire by 24. And in 2012, he sold a majority stake in his business to WPP in a deal that valued the agency at $540 million, which at the time was around £348 million. He has since been awarded two honorary degrees, so he didn't miss out on his university qualifications. And it's a good thing that he didn't listen to his school careers advisor, who told him to work in a factory like his father. On the podcast, he explains how his agency's operating system provides clarity to employees, his one-minute MBA for CEOs, and why good leadership is really about one thing, being a decent human being. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Ajaz. Explain to our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. Thank you very much for inviting me along today. I'm Ajaz Ahmed, and when I was 21 years old, I founded AKQA, which is a design, creative, and innovation agency. And today we have about five and a half thousand employees around the world and about 50 studios and, and, and an extraordinary client list of some incredible brands that we collaborate with to hopefully contribute good work. So you started that business when you were 21 and reading up on your career history, you started work far earlier than that. Do you want to explain how you got into what you're doing now? Sure. When I was 11, I realized I had two passions, which are technology and creativity. And so between the age of 11 and and 21, I suppose, I had the opportunity to work with some of the most important and profound hardware and software firms that, that I learned a great deal from. And then when I was 21, I founded AKQA. And I suppose I've been exceptionally lucky to have just brilliant teachers from a very young age and, and got the opportunity to work with exceptional organizations and people to learn from. Great. Now let's get straight into it. What do you think makes a good leader? Well, I think a leader's role is to be a brilliant coach that the team can can believe in. And I think when we think about effective coaching, it really involves helping to elevate an employee or an individual's vision to greater heights and, and improve performance to, I suppose, exceed con- conventional standards and also nurture personal growth beyond even their their ambition sometimes. And I think 
with bad coaches, what happens is they publicly demean and they denigrate and they, they make people feel small. And by doing that, they just undermine the, the spirit of the organization. So I think that good leadership is about values and, and good behaviors. And, and a good leader is about is able to harness their own energy in a positive way and also help to guide the collective energy of the team for good outcomes. And that means that you know, a good leader will have a good mission. And that's ultimately what matters. And, you know, there's, there's tons and tons of books written about leadership. And it's probably, certainly in business, probably the most prevalent topic. But ultimately, leadership is about one thing, which is being a decent human being. How has your approach to business changed as you've gone through that journey of building that business from age 21 to now? The approach has been for me is to adapt to being more of a coach than a practitioner and for me to help our teams and help the, the organisation to scale rather than needing to be involved in, in, in everything. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do so well now as a five and a half thousand people company is, is the idea that we've hired brilliant people who we trust and who just do a fantastic role. One of our clients recently introduced me to their venture capital firm. During the, the, the meeting, the, the, the boss of the, the venture capital firm turned around to me and said, well, what is it that you do at, at, you know, at AKQA? And he really caught me off guard, but I love that because I instinctively answered that I focus on two things. One is quality control, and the second is relationships. So I feel like part of my role, along with our entire leadership team, is to be a champion of the values and the champion of the purpose. But it's also to ensure that the relationships endure and we find ways to collaborate and, 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 and contribute in, in, in good ways. I like that. So you've got two very simple things that you set for yourself that you kind of focus on. How do you maintain the quality control when you have five and a half thousand people? The first aspect is by having a system where people have a complete understanding. And so you often have organizations that are highly bureaucratic and chaotic. They often just don't understand the difference between, I suppose, a startup mentality or when you're a larger organization. So in a, not, in a larger organization, it's very important to have protocol in place so the leaders don't feel undermined and that that undermining can sometimes create a sense of you know it, it can it can do it can do a lot of it can do a lot of damage and in the good organizations they really understand the protocol and the dedication to doing the right things and I suppose by, because we have our system of the AKQA framework in place, it means that I get to meet all of our leadership team regularly to run through 
each business or each studio in significant detail. And what that does is it creates trust, which is the opposite of, of chaos. And so presumably you think clarity is a really important concept. Clarity and knowing what to expect. Well, I think organisations do not function well when they're chaotic and unpredictable. That's interesting because creativity is not a linear process and many would assume that an innovation agency would embrace chaos, not structured process. When you get to see behind the scenes of an acclaimed restaurant in the world, what you discover is it's the opposite of chaos. In fact, it is run with this extraordinary organisation and precision and excellence. And it and it's brilliant and inspiring because it shows you that to achieve the best cuisine, to achieve the best results, there needs to be exceptional organisation and discipline. And the same is true of car factories. So I've got to see a number of, you know, in the last 30 years, I've got to visit a lot of car factories. And the car factory that I was the most impressed with, that I thought was the cleanest, the most organized, and just really ran brilliantly, is Ferrari. And it's reflected in, in, in the product as well. And there was no mess. It was just, you know, this immaculate, incredible organization that's reflected in the product. So I think this idea that creativity is chaotic is, it, it, you know, it might work for some individuals or some organizations, but it doesn't work for us and it doesn't work for the clients that, that we're lucky to collaborate with. Is that something that you've prioritised throughout that entire growth of AKQA? We, we've always been, we've always tried to be incredibly organised and, and incredibly thoughtful about everything we do as, as an organisation. So I was lucky that, I've, you know, I've spent not just 30 years working with an amazing organisations and obviously 10 years before that, working with incredible companies but I've also had the opportunity to have a look at and, and study what makes companies endure and I discovered there were five characteristics woven into their DNA that helps organizations to to endure and the five principles are really you know, related to 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 what you said is that small companies often, they can be creative, but they don't scale. And large companies can be slowed down by their bureaucracy or their legacy systems or the chaos of their leadership. But the best organizations are counterbalance creativity and experimentation with operational excellence because they realize that progress comes from outside of the comfort zone. So if you think about an athlete, when an athlete builds a muscle, it's because they slightly damaged the muscle. And then when it grows back, it, it grows back stronger. 
So the best organizations, they tend to run a lot of experiments and then they kill off the experiments that don't work and focus on on, on the ones that they do. And, you know, in terms of the other four characteristics, in addition to being, you know, organized and disciplined, another characteristic is they democratize what's for the few and they make it for the many. So I love that quote from Steve Jobs, who founded Apple, where he described the Mac as the bicycle for the mind. I just think, you know, what could be a more democratic way to talk about a a phenomenal machine that, you know, helps reflect humanity and amplify humanity? And another one of the key principles is that these organizations are revolutionary, not just in the products, but also other aspects of their, their organization, like the service they provide or the culture or the architecture of their buildings and stores or, or the employee engagement and customer engagement or, you know, retail logistics and distribution. And then in another aspect that helps companies scale is they understand that the fast will always beat the slow and but the big don't necessarily beat the small, but the simple will always displace the complex. So, they, so they're always looking for ways to simplify. And I think the last one, the last of the five is that they know that persuading people is about uniting an idea with emotion and that creates a you know, memorable and compelling story. And that, the best stories are authored with, you know, with authenticity and insight and imagination. So the, so the best, best organizations are fantastic storytellers as well. So that, that's what I learned studying and working with incredible companies. And, and certainly within AKQA, we try to apply as many of those aspects as we can. But really, our focus is about focusing on our clients and letting the work speak for itself. I've read a lot of Peter Drucker, who's, you know, often quoted and just a phenomenal management guru, the, probably the best known management guru. And I love his quote, which is only three things happen naturally in organizations, friction, confusion and underperformance. Everything else requires leadership and AKQA framework and the way our leaders behave every single day is our opportunity to to provide leadership. Well, if there's a, listeners listening now who are thinking, this, is, this sounds great, I work in a chaotic organisation, I need to improve it, where should they start if they want to do what you're suggesting? Well, the first aspect is to get out of denial. And often leaders can't have an inability to confront the harsh truths. And Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, another phenomenal management guru he talks a lot about that where a lot of organizations just stay in this sense of stagnation because they simply can't accept that the way they're approaching things isn't the right approach because often it threatens their own role and you know the role of 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 people in in the team and they want to protect the hierarchies. They want to protect the way things are. And I think, you know, coming back to the point about leadership and all of us can, can learn, it's just, you know, when we, you know, you, there's something we could talk about, which is the one minute MBA, which is make a list of all the things done to you that you disliked and don't do them to any employee ever. 
and then make a thing make a list of all the things that you loved and respected and do those always and i think that 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 really helps and i think organizations can help themselves by asking a set of questions and so you know a lot of organizations are absolutely obsessed with their competition but really there's very little they can do to influence their competition there's a lot they can do to influence their own organization and how they show up and how they turn up so i suppose in, instead of asking the question who do we compete with maybe organizations and leaders should be asking what do we compete for and what are our values and, and aspirations for the world and you know another question is how do we create a culture that encourages relationships rather than just short-term transactions and i think in terms of all the work that the people contribute or produce in an organization you know the thought is well what's the memory we want to create what's the feeling we want to evoke in the hearts and minds of our audiences and our team when they see this work and then it's one thing is having the vision or the aspiration another thing is the execution and so what are the concrete mechanisms to get us there and again sorry to quote peter drucker again but one of his quotes is vision without execution is hallucination and so execution as he rightly says is an art and the strategy is is commodity that's that's the way that peter drucker studied business intensely so strategy is commodity and execution is art so what are the concrete systems to get us there and then just asking the questions like what's our motivation like you ask me what's my what's driving me and i suppose it's, it's a question for all of us is what's our motivation you know is it contributing inspiring work is it removing friction from people's lives is it removing pain point from 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 people's lives and so the way i look at it is the purpose of life is to create life and protect life and all of us have the opportunity to help better lives or improve the quality of life and i think that you know that that's really the 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 main and and perhaps the only job you credit your framework approach to AKQA achieving a 0% gender pay gap and a 50-50 gender representation at every level. Can you explain what that framework approach is and why you think it works? Today, we have about 5,500 people in AKQA and we have a five-people leadership team. And in that five-people leadership team, there are three women, two men and two people of colour. And as far as we know, that's the most diverse leadership team of an agency our size in, in the industry. And I think the way we think about diversity and inclusion is that diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And belonging is being able to choose a song for, for the playlist that everyone else can dance to. And I think across a lot of different industries, you get this situation where you've got 
definitely the diversity where there's there's more people being encouraged and 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 and, and invited and there's there's also progress being made on inclusion but the belonging is something that that really does need a, a lot of work well within organizations people talk a lot about chemistry so there's chemistry meetings and that's that's what people talk about but there's also just as important as physics and inputs and outputs and what the AKQA framework is is it's a set of principles and concrete goals and, and metrics I suppose a methodology that's implemented across our entire organization to provide guidance and, and really define the standards and objectives and, and aspirations and ambition that we expect and have for our work, for the organization and, and, and from each other. And another way to think of about AKQA framework is it, it's an operating system for the entire organization. And it's really there to ensure consistency and collaboration and also accountability. When we created AKQA Framework, the idea was to give our employees a way where they're not having to operate in a system of ambiguity. And I think that's sometimes the, the, the cruelest thing is when employees don't know what the objectives of the companies are and what the goals of the companies are and, and what, what, what the shared purpose is. And the way we, we measure that is every single month we have a review with, with the senior leaders across all of our studios to, to look at the scorecard in those key areas, whether that's employee, client, commercial, and reputation. And where any of the key metrics that are, are, are off kilter, we obviously have to take steps to, to, to improve those. And every quarter, we then share the AKQA framework report with every single employee in our company. So all of our employees can see how we're tracking against the objectives and, and the goals that, that we've outlined. Great. Now, I'd like to find a little bit more out about you personally, because as we discussed earlier, you set the business up when you were just 21. You've sold it for multiple millions. You don't need to work. So why do you still care? You know, what's driving you personally? I am driven by so many aspects. One is my love for our team and our clients and the work that we do. I was passionate about creativity and technology when I was 11, 12, and I continue to be passionate about creativity and technology today. And AKQA is an incredibly broad canvas that invites contributions from so many people that it's, it's a privilege to be one of the people who contributes to that to that canvas. So that that drives me. I think the sense of duty also also drives me. So I think there's 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 a lot there's a lot of, of aspects that, that that drive me. And you know I've, I've been I'm very lucky to have a team and clients that I have immense respect for and I learn from every single day and. You know, I've always described my my life's journey as nothing short of just a remarkable adventure in, in, in serendipity. And, you know, when I think about the story of AKQA, it's really transported me from the, you know, a basement in Berkshire 
where we started to the boardrooms of, of the world's most successful companies. And you know, in that time, the mo the, one of the key insights is that the learning never ends. And I've learned so much from really dynamic and, and disciplined leaders. And having said that, I've also learned from leaders who I don't respect. And that tells me how I don't want to be. And you know, that's just as important as as, as anything. But the but the dynamic leaders who I've who I've learned from, they're just able to catalyze change. And ultimately, what is an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is someone who who changes things, who doesn't like the way the things they are, and they want to change them to make make them make them better. So, I've been incredibly lucky. When you look back on your um, time as well, running a KQA, uh, what were the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? I think challenges never really never really end, and the you know often it can be small things where just it can be the small it can be small aspects and it can be you know bit bigger 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 challenges but the way where i have hope and optimism is i don't think i've ever faced any challenge that someone else in history hasn't dealt with before and i think again I suppose having the humility and trying to have the absence of ego that makes me aware of that and and continue to learn is is the way to to, to respond to, to to challenges. And did you? Because um, I'm, I'm still thinking about you as a 21 year old launching mm. a business, and I think the confidence you must have had to to do that, and maybe that's just youthful naivety. How have you? Um, dealt with the pressure that comes with running these big businesses well one of the one of my great teachers is the incredible anthropologist and author wade davis and wade davis has this brilliant quote which is despair is an insult to the imagination and i think humans have this unique ability to contribute something beautiful into the world and that's such an incredibly optimistic and wonderful act and 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 such such a wonderful privilege so and i think when we look at whenever we look at whenever we think about the future often people think of it in a in a negative way, but whenever we look back, we see how much progress we, we, we've actually made. And I think, you know, I suppose the thread of my early years kind of interweaves this, this unique dimension to, to my, to my journey, which is I, I came from a, you know, an underrepresented group and there was definitely a sense of um, some, economic and, and I suppose cultural exclusion and I but I was very lucky that I had this incredible example of my really kind and compassionate and hard-working first-generation immigrant parents and, and they had multiple jobs to, to to make ends meet so I never viewed any unfavorable circumstances as hindrances but I suppose I, I saw them as sources of resilience and, and determination. I think even at the age of 12, 
I, you know, was told, I can remember it to this day, I was told by my state school career advisor that I should follow in my dad's footsteps and become a factory worker. And I was surprised about that because I had, you know, a fairly good academic performance, but there was still this sense of stereotyping and, and that aspect. And I suppose, you know, as you, as you, as you said, I suppose when I was 21, you know, one of the, one of the factors about 21 is you, you probably think you're going to live forever. You probably think you're, you know, you know, in a sense, invincible. So I suppose just unleashing that torrent of youthful and I suppose naive energy by embarking on this somewhat audacious and visionary venture that defied the the expectations that, that, that may have existed. So I suppose that there's a lot there's a lot of aspects that kind of inter, interweave to make to make us all the people we are. I think you see that in a lot of entrepreneurs that if you don't feel like you're part of the system necessarily, it's less of a risk to you know do something outside of the system. Is there anything that if, if you had to start all over again, is there anything you would do differently? I I you learn so much from the defeats and despairs you learn much more from the defeats and defeats than you do the triumphs and each of those defeats it might have been incredibly painful at the time but when you look back at it six months later a year later you kind of think actually that's just part of the journey and that's part of this this incredible life that, that that we have and you know my my favorite film is a film called Gattaca and it has this brilliant line which is there is no gene for the human spirit and i think in this world of you know genetics that people can amend and artificial intelligence being more you know being profoundly powerful that you know i still believe that the most powerful force in the universe isn't technology it's imagination and the human imagination is is just extraordinary mm-hmm. okay my final question for you then is what has been your biggest leadership lesson there's a few one of them is something that a client taught us which is your ego is not your amigo that i love so all of us have to make sure that we keep our egos in, in, in control. And another bit of advice is that I received again from one of my great, great teachers is don't diversify. So and don't quit a winning horse. But I think the right now, the leadership lesson that I've been taught recently is to make sure that I invest in relationships that have a compounding effect and their relationships that are mutually beneficial and keep improving with, with time and compound over time. So that's the main lesson is invest in the relationships that compound. It's a perfect way to end it. Thank you so much for joining us, Jars. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Leadership Lessons podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Find us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.